Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spoffer, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz, coming to you from our humble abodes. We're here to recap the 2020 Packers draft. And Wes, the three days went just exactly as we predicted, right? We knew everything that was going to happen. This was, uh, this was completely boring and, and, you know, whatever. Yeah, it was wow. exactly uh, how you could have predicted it, and, and certainly it played out just as everyone expected. Here's what I love about it. I mentioned, I think, on one of our live streams that I could not have been more wrong on the Packers' first three picks. Uh, I talked about the quarterback, the running back, and the tight end positions, and I didn't anticipate that those would have been higher positions for them. I also talked about in the past death, taxes, and defensive linemen. Well, guess what? 28-year streak ended during the draft. The Packers drafting a defensive lineman. Right. So, because as we know now, there, it appears that Jonathan Garvin's going to be listed as a, as a linebacker. So, all these things together, uh, it makes up uh, what I think is the magic and sort of the, uh, the process of the draft that you never can be too certain what's going to happen. There's always going to be a lot of passionate reactions to it. And here the Green Bay Packers are with – a nine-player class that I, I, you can listen to Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst on Saturday evening that they feel pretty good about. Yeah, if, if you had told me during all of our preview shows over the last couple of weeks, which in some ways I feel like you can take all those shows and just throw them in the garbage because what we previewed is absolutely not what happened. But that being said, if you had told me that the Packers would not select a wide receiver or a defensive lineman in the entirety of their draft, which turned out to be nine picks. Hey, that was maybe the one thing we got right. We both said they would take nine players. Right? And I said they'd trade up. I said they'd yeah, trade up. Yeah, that's right. You did say that. I, I, did, I said that would uh, maybe be the least likely occurrence in the first round, so totally off there. But, no, I, I, I fully expected the Packers to take a wide receiver. I fully expected them to take a defensive lineman. That did not happen. A lot of it had to do with the way things fell, obviously, and, and where the Packers had players ranked on their board. But quite frankly, Wes, we might as well start at the top because the first pick and what the Packers did there, trading up from 30 to 26, giving up a fourth-round pick to select Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State, as the potential heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers down the road. That's really the the move that sort of set everything else up because then – if the Packers had certain guys targeted and maybe wanted to move to some different spots in the draft, they didn't really have the draft capital to move around anymore after what they did in the first round. And as I've continued to say in inbox and otherwise, Brian Gutekunst knew the consequences of that move of trading up to get a quarterback in the first round, to set the stage, to pass the torch somewhere down the road from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. He knew the consequences. He knew the ramifications. He knew how it would impact and limit his abilities throughout the rest of the draft. But he did it anyway, and I just think that speaks to how highly he thinks of Jordan Love and his potential for being that next great quarterback for the Green Bay Packers whenever it is, however many years down the road it is, that he eventually takes over. Yeah, and I made this point to you over the weekend, Mike, and, and I think it was on our Saturday or was it our Friday morning live stream. Everything kind of blurs together a little bit after <laughs> that. Um, but I, may, I made this point in that the easy thing for Brian Gutekunst to do would have been to draft a receiver at 30 or draft Ross Blacklock or all these other guys. I, I, do, I do have to point this out, though. 
because we are all about, we're, we're making the points here and you know, I'm, I'm going to play the ombudsman of some of this, all the Packer fans out there that were saying, why did you trade up to take Jordan love at 26 when we could have had Denzel Mims at 30? Well, Denzel Mims ended up going 59th overall. So right. it's, not, it's not that we all are geniuses and, and GMs, you know, waiting in the wings. But be that as it may, the easy move for Brian Gutekunst would have been to actually just take one of those positions. He stuck to the courage of his convictions, though. They trusted their board. And that board showed them that Jordan Love was an exceptional value for them at 26. Now, where this goes from here I don't know. And it's going to be a hot minute before we probably talk to Aaron Rodgers and, and hear what his thoughts are on this. We right. did see the reports out that Rodgers already has reached out to love. They've communicated. Certainly Brian Gutekunst also placed that call to Rodgers. So Matt LaFleur did as well. Matt LaFleur as well. Exactly. Yeah. And for that, that's the way this goes. And, and Rodgers knows it better than anyone. The value of potentially accepting a younger guy behind you, that is a big prospect, much like Rodgers was in 2005. He had to go the really hard way into the NFL over those first three or four years, a way that really no quarterback should have to do because Jordan Love didn't ask to get drafted by the Green Bay Packers. He just asked to get drafted. And in the first round, this is a guy that has an exceptional story. He's overcome so much in his personal life. And he's a really good football prospect. He's raw. There are areas that he's going to have to refine in his game. And now he has time to do that. Yeah, and the the way I view this you know, as I said before, Brian Gutekunst obviously thought very highly of him with the move that he made and what he sacrificed and everything to move up and get Jordan Love. But I think he, he, see, he sees the, the entire situation, the, the parameters of everything as the right situation for Jordan Love because Brian Gutekunst has said on multiple conference calls throughout the weekend, Jordan Love has a lot to learn. He's got a long way to go. He is not ready to play in the NFL from day one, and he probably won't be ready to play in the NFL at day 366 either. What I mean is the start of year two for him. He sees Jordan Love as a developmental guy with an incredibly high ceiling. Well, you have Aaron Rodgers under contract for multiple years. You have Aaron Rodgers not talking about retirement like Brett Favre was 15 years ago. So Jordan Love does not have to play right away, barring an injury, of course, which no one wants to happen with Rodgers. So you have a situation where Jordan Love has the time to breathe, to learn, to grow before the torch is ultimately passed. And so Brian Gutekunst is trying to set up the franchise for the future, but Gutekunst and LaFleur both made it very clear. This is not starting some ticking clock on Aaron Rodgers. This is not their message of some kind to push him out the door sooner than later. They want Aaron Rodgers to go after Super Bowls here with the Green Bay Packers, and they're just protecting the franchise for the inevitable when Rodgers is no longer at his at the peak of his powers and they need to move on that the Packers are still going to have a productive winning quarterback at the most important and difficult position in sports. That's what this pick was all about. Yeah. And I'm going to remain accountable to my words. And one of the things I said throughout the draft process is, you know, you look at these future pro football hall of fame teams or pro football hall of fame quarterbacks, very few of them have hair parents. And right now at this very moment, Tom Brady probably still doesn't. I mean, in, in, right. in with the new yeah. England Patriots, they didn't even draft one. So right. um, to, to have an heir apparent, it, it's interesting to set that up, to set up that lineage. 
But the more after I heard Gutekunst and LaFleur talk about the decision afterwards, the more it started to make more sense to me of why they went that direction, what they thought. First off, Brian Gutekunst is not going to talk about his board. He's not going to say what they felt the value was past number 26, past Jordan Love. Right. So we're, we're not going to – that's going to be something probably for a book someday to understand, <laughs> you know, where things were sitting at that point in time. Well, it's been 15 years and nobody's gotten Ted Thompson to talk about his board from <laughs> 2005 either. So I think we'll all be waiting to eternity for those details <laughs> to be released. But go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, but I mean, the thing is, is that there are worse ways to invest a first round draft pick because I think the way everyone's thinking is that number 30, whoever that guy was, he's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be a hall pro. It doesn't work like that. This whole situation, it's all taking risk. It's all weighing the cost benefit analysis to figure out if this person is going to be able to play and what their ceiling is. Sure, you want every single one of those picks in the late 20s to be Kenny Clark. But it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes it's guys that just don't make an impact. So you have that's why it's important to trust your board and trust your prospects. So what the point I'm trying to illustrate with all this is that they put an investment into a first-round pick into a quarterback. That is going to inherently hold its value because there's going to be intrigue across the entire football, uh, the National Football League this year of, and, and beyond of where Jordan loves development is at and potentially other teams that could be interested down the way. Brian Gutekunst, you've heard me say it for the 400th time. He likes options. This is another option now. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Well, looking at looking further down the road at the rest of the Packers picks in this draft, and we'll get to, uh, you know, some of the, of the day three guys, but I think, you talk about Jordan Love as the potential heir apparent, you know, quarterback of the future. I think a lot of the Packers picks on day three are guys who are going to be competing more for backup roles, special teams roles in terms of uh, their potential impact as rookies. But if you look at the picks on day two, I think those are the guys who have an opportunity to get on the field a fair amount in their rookie seasons. And we're talking about running back AJ Dillon from Boston college, the second round draft pick, and then tight end, uh, Guavar, um, uh, Deguara, Josiah, sorry. Josiah Deguara. I, I lost his first name for a minute there. Josiah Deguara, the tight end from Cincinnati, was the Packers' third-round selection. And, you know, you said it, Wes, and you repeated it as well. Matt Gutekunst, I'm sorry, Matt LaFleur made it very clear at the scouting combine that he wanted a third running back to go with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And so when the receivers that the Packers liked at the top of the draft, a lot of them went off the board, I think, early in the second round. The Packers were down there at 62. They didn't have the draft capital to move up and get one of those guys. So they took the running back late in the second round. And this is a 247-pound back who runs a 4.53 with a 40-plus-inch vertical jump, a ton of power, a ton of speed and a ton of athleticism. This is a really, really intriguing prospect who brings a skill set and, and physical attributes to the backfield that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams don't necessarily have. This is a completely different kind of guy. Yeah, I think he probably has 40 pounds on Aaron Jones. I mean, uh, it, it, I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch any of his prospect primer? Well, you wrote one of the, but I mean, like the uh, vo the fit, the footage. 
that we had on our website. Can I've, you only, tell, I've only seen a couple of highlights. But can you yeah. tell Spoff and I are on like four hours of sleep yeah. at this point, by the way? It was uh, a long weekend, everyone. Sorry, just bear with us. We'll get took, through this. I took a nap on Sunday. I think that was the first time <laughs> I've taken a nap in like 15 years. Uh, no, but if you look at some of his, his combine footage, talk about a guy who doesn't skip leg day. I mean, just absolute <laughs> tree trunks. Yeah. Uh, in terms of his hips and, and his thighs, everything, this guy is built to last. And that was his message, Mike. Uh, when he was talking, he, he answered all the questions. He was very polished, um, was very professional. It was in, he was interesting to listen to, very engaging. But he did make it a point in the middle of the news conference to, to actually speak out to Packers fans because the question was asked of him, okay, you, you ran the ball 800-plus times in three years at BC. Right. You know, what do you think that takes some tread off your tires? Do you think that's an indication of your durability? He said, Hey, listen, I am a workhorse. I am ready to be a workhorse And the, that illustration that shows that I can handle whatever the green Bay Packers want to throw at me. Aaron Jones is the man. Jamal Williams is the great change of pace that was set up with the way that this offense is constructed last season, but we've seen it with the Baltimore Ravens, Mike, and we've seen it with the San Francisco 49ers. Some of the best teams in the National Football League now, Mike, they are not one 1,500-yard rusher that's going to make the all-pro team and have all these other accomplishments. It's awesome what Christian McCaffrey's done. Carolina Panthers didn't have a whole heck of a lot of success last year, though. Packers are trying to make this very dynamic. They're trying to spread this thing out. They're trying to be more versatile, and A.J. Dillon brings a different complement to those other two backs. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't want to get into fantasy football discussions because I don't even play that game. But I don't know if Aaron Jones is going to be able to repeat his 20-plus touchdowns because when you have a 247-pound running back, once that ball's inside the five-yard line, I'm not so sure Aaron Jones is going to get as many of those inside the five-yard line carries as he did a year ago. But that being said, I, I see A.J. Dillon, you know, and Matt LaFleur said, hey, he's got to prove it. He's got to compete with these other guys on the roster. He's got to earn his playing time, but I think they envision him as a young running back adding a third dimension to, uh, uh, to the backfield and to the ground game and, and getting playing time as a rookie. And I think Josiah DeGuara, the tight end from Cincinnati, is, is much in the same boat. Now, the thing that's being thrown around here about DeGuara is the, is the term H-back. And you're more of an X's and O's guy than I am. So I'm going to throw this H-back thing to you so you can explain to the fans, okay, when they hear H-back, what is everybody talking about? What, what, what does this mean? Okay, so there's two things to this. One, I think H-back gets kind of a bad reputation because in the most literal standpoint of it, it's like a hybrid tight end that you can use in the backfield as sort of a pseudo fullback. And you can do some stuff off of that. You can do some motioning off of that. I think it'd be disingenuous and I, and I trust me, I've written part of it too. It would be disingenuous to look at and say, Oh, the Packers use a third round pick on an H back. That means it's an undersized tight end that you're not going to be able to use in line like normal. The thing about AJ DeGuara and I had a chance to really look into him, you know, when I wrote the story on Friday night and then following up on, on Saturday, this is a guy that was just an absolute Swiss army knife at Cincinnati. He finished as one of only two tight ends in school history that finished with over a thousand receiving yards. And that other one, as everyone's been saying, wasn't Travis Kelsey. It was Brent Selleck, who also had his own decorated career in the national football league. Yeah. He, and, and I made this point in three things as soon as we were done on Saturday night, Mike, you want to know how excited Matt LaFleur is about getting AJ, <laughs> AJ, Josiah, the Guara, yeah. get it right. Getting him in the offense. 
Listen to his conference call on Saturday night. LaFleur yep. was great. He, he was awesome. He, for 30 minutes, I thought he touched on a lot of things that need to be touched on. But when the question was asked of him of DeGuara, it was the longest answer. It was the most impassioned answer. You could tell that this was something that Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst talked about. They wanted to bring in a guy between that Danny Vitale, Jay Sternberger, somebody that fits right in the middle of all that that they think can be a playmaker. And DeGuara was that guy. Yeah, I look at what the Packers did on day two, and I know everybody, you know, was upset that they didn't draft a wide receiver. And, you know, there are other areas that they didn't address with their picks in in the second and third rounds. But what they got was productive college players. A.J. Dillon had over 4,000 yards and 38 touchdowns in three seasons at Boston College. And Josiah DeGuara, you know, you mentioned his receiving yards as a tight end. He caught 12 touchdown passes over his last two seasons for the Bearcats. That's, a, that, that's legitimate production. And that, that's as a receiver, not taking into account the, the blocking and the other potential responsibilities he's going to have there. So when it comes to this draft class, I see the Packers picks on day two as the guys that you might see the most on the field as rookies. They do have to earn it. We don't really know where this offseason and training camp and everything else is going to go from here and how it's going to lay out because there's so much uncertainty. But those are the guys that, uh, that I think, you know, when it comes to rookie impact, uh, those day two picks are the guys. Yeah, and something else I've touched on in the past, Jace Sternberger last year, I preached patience with him. He was a young guy. They had older veterans at that position, and it takes time to learn that tight end position in this league. I think the way that Matt LaFleur is going to use Josiah DeGuara, and we're going to need months and months ahead to fully understand exactly what their vision is for this guy. But I think that is going to really hasten this whole process for him getting into the National Football League. And they were asked too, you know, is this going to be a Danny Vitale? Is this going to be a guy that plays 15 snaps? Gutekunst and LaFleur both said, no, I mean, this is a guy that he projects is so much more than that. And if you can just step back and look at what they've done with the tight end position, you still have Mercedes Lewis, your traditional inline tight end is going to be the big blocker. He's going to be able to catch some passes for you here and there. But beyond that, it's all hybrids. It's Robert Tanyan, a converted wide receiver. It's Jay Sternberger, not the biggest tight end in the world, but he showed last year he could fit a lot of those move tight end tendencies. And I think that's one thing that led them down this road to just Josiah DeGuara. The last point I want to make, the receiving position is incredibly important. Devontae Adams is one of the best at it. But you got to understand, you got to look into the sand a little bit and see what's coming up here with the tide. This isn't the four and five receiver spread anymore. This thing has changed. There's more running backs. There's more tight ends. There's more versatility. Adams, Lazard, Devin Funches, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, these guys are still going to get a chance to play, and they're still going to be on the field a heck of a lot. But I don't think you're at a position now, at least with the construct, just reading the tea leaves here, that you need to have six receivers on the roster and all of them need to run four fours. There's a lot more that's going into this right now than what I think people are giving credit for in the social media space. Yeah. And I think that's a good note to end on for today. I know I said we would get to the day three picks that we've gone on quite a while here. So we'll get to them later. Yeah. Let's say, let's save our day three discussion for our next show later this week. We will pick up where we left off, but for now we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers unscripted. Thank you for watching, everybody. We will see you next time.